We're going to turn to the Bible, and um, we're still in Isaiah. We started this series back in 2018, and I promise you that we will be finished by the end of 2019. Are you all right, Tim? It's the first time um, I've actually, uh, along with Edward, I don't know if Edward's preached through Isaiah before, but it's the first time we've actually preached right through um, this amazing prophecy. And uh, to think that he lived 700 years before Jesus and the way that he heard from God. And in his um, calling to be a prophet, uh, he was told by the Lord that they wouldn't listen to him. I mean, that's always a great start, isn't it? When God calls you to speak for him and he says, by the way, they won't listen. But I want you to keep speaking and keep speaking and keep speaking. And the prophet Isaiah keeps on speaking through all the ups and downs of the national life of Israel, of the northern and southern kingdoms. He speaks God's word. And so uh, we join it again in chapter 59. And uh, we're in that last section of Isaiah. So from 56 to 66, he's speaking and prophesying to the returning exiles. And the question is asked, when they come back, would things be different? Would the people turn back to God? They were exiled because of their idolatry. They began worshipping Baal pagan gods. And there's a phrase in Isaiah, they turn their backs to God, not their faces. And they even set up vile images in the temple and even sacrificed their sons and daughters to pagan gods. That's how far they fell away. So as they come back, would they seek the Lord? What was going to happen? And in this chapter, Isaiah addresses the barrier to God's blessing. And he brings a diagnosis, a remedy, and a promise. So we're going to read the chapter, the whole chapter, together. So bear with us. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die. And when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they have made. Their deeds are evil, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. Justice is far from us. And righteousness does not reach us. 
We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. And he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay. Wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion To those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, who is on you, will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips. On the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants. From this time on and forever, says the Lord. I always kind of almost want to just take a pause every time I read a chapter. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have the Bible in our hands. We can read it every day. We don't have to hide it. And we pray that as we just focus on part of this amazing prophecy tonight that you'll speak truths to us yet again and challenges yet again. And we pray, Lord, that as your church, we would live as a prophetic people, but that we would always heed your word to us first. So by your spirit, would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. I uh, titled this talk, What's the Blockage? Okay. Um, I don't, uh, go to water the garden if you've got a hose pipe, uh, or you go and wash the car. Occasionally, I do that. And uh, you turn on the tap and you wait for the water, and nothing comes. You ever had that experience? Nothing happens. And, and you go back to the tap and you make sure the tap's on, the tap's on, there's nothing wrong with the tap, and then you trace along the hose pipe. And there you find the problem. There's a kink in the hosepipe. 
that's what's wrong. And the people of Judah were experiencing a similar problem with the power of God. But they couldn't see the problem. They weren't experiencing the blessing of God, but they couldn't see the problem. They weren't experiencing the power of God because they couldn't see the problem. And they began complaining to God. If you read back in um, chapter 58, and if you want to listen to a cracking sermon on Isaiah 58, David Sylvester preached it last week. It's on the website. But they were doing all the stuff, you see. They were doing all the religious stuff. They complained to God, we've been fasting, but you've not seen it. We've been humbling ourselves, and you haven't even noticed. And Isaiah the prophet stands before them and says, actually, the problem isn't with God. The problem's with you. There's a kink in the pipe, a blockage, and it's called sin. It gets in the way. It stops the flow of God's blessing. The beginning of that chapter, Isaiah says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. He has not gone deaf. He hasn't changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's your iniquities, your sins, that have hidden his face from you. Separated you from God. That's what sin does. We know that. Because God is holy and perfect. And because of our sin, we're alienated from him. That's why we need a savior. Isaiah tells them that the arm of the Lord has not grown tired over time. His ability to save is just as strong as ever. But the Lord uses the prophet to point out the problem, to bring the diagnosis. But also to point out the remedy And to give them a promise. So in verses 3 to 15, there's the diagnosis. It's as if the prophet holds up a mirror to the people, to the nation. And it's not a pretty sight. It's amazing that this was written 700 years before Jesus. And it could be written today for our own generation, our own nation, as it were. It reveals the problem of the human condition. There are lies. People are just telling lies. There's a lack of integrity. Not only in religious life, but political life. There's self-reliance. Kind of, we don't need God anymore. There's injustice. There's violence, there's murder, there's evil. And the prophet has to say to them, no amount of religious attitude or religious going through the motions will cover that up. Something deep has to happen. It's not that the hose pipe has got a kink in it. It's like tied up in knots, like you haven't used it for years and you've gone to it and it's all messed up. And he holds up that mirror in verses 9 to 11 to show them what their rebellion and their sin is producing. 
And you notice, I don't know if you noticed that as, as the prophecy went through, he includes himself in that second part. He begins saying, we and us. He's not just pointing the finger and saying, you. He's saying, it's us. We're the problem. And those sins rob them of the Lord's guidance. The nation ends up in a mess. Instead of walking in the light, he says, we're stumbling in the dark. We're groping along a wall as if we were blind. And it's midday. Feeling our way like people without eyes. It robs them of deliverance. It robs them of salvation. They're not seeing God's blessing on the nation. Because they've turned their back on him. And not turn their face to him. And in a way it's as if God has. In a way withdrawn from them a little bit. So that they might seek him. Again. I was struck by that phrase. Truth is nowhere to be found. We live in an age where we don't know who's telling us the truth. Truth is nowhere to be found. And then we read Jesus say. I am the truth. The way, the life. And interesting this, whoever shuns evil is picked off like prey. Whoever shuns evil is picked off like prey. They become the hunted. Sometimes we sense we're living in a place and a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. Isaiah holds up this mirror and says, this is how far we've fallen. This is the diagnosis. So what's the answer? What's the remedy? How do we unkink that hose? How do we straighten things out? And the prophet actually in this passage leads them in a prayer. And it's a prayer of repentance. Again, notice in verse 12, he says, we acknowledge. We acknowledge our iniquities, our rebellion, our treachery. We have gone our own way. And he leads them in a prayer of turning. Turning back to God. Turning away from sin. And we know that repentance means that turning, that change of heart, that change of mind. Repentance means we've given up the pretense that all is well or it's someone else's fault. We admit that we've failed. We admit that we need saving because we can't save ourselves. Now, repentance doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily to uh, the people that Isaiah addresses. It doesn't come easily to most people. Because sometimes it's the hardest thing to admit that we're wrong. Have you never, ever struggled with that, just that phrase, sorry, I was wrong? It's sometimes really hard to say. Because we can find all the excuses of why we were wrong. Well, we were wrong because. I find it interesting that the prophet includes himself and he prays for the nation's sin. It's as if he stands in the gap with them. Not only leading them in a confession, but praying even for those he knows 
will not pray for themselves, will not turn back, will not repent. He prays. And I believe that's something that the church of Jesus Christ is called to do in our own time, in our own day. So there is a confession of the nation's sin and it's prophetic as well. And Isaiah knows that there will be a faithful remnant. Those who will remain true. And in a sense, our prayers for revival as a church begins with us. We're we're saying, Lord, revive us. Get us right with you. And then we'll see an awakening in the nation. As we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we've had the diagnosis. It wasn't good news. The remedy is repentance, turning in faith, as it always has been. And then there's this wonderful promise that God comes himself. Because we cannot save ourselves. It's God who brings salvation. He will come to deal with sin. He's the only one who can. He will come to deal with evil. Have you not read the news and cried out, God, will you sort this out? And he will. He's going to come and sort it all out. But it's God that we need. We're not going to sort it out in ourselves. Whatever new prime minister we have, the mess is still there. Human beings aren't going to sort it out. It's God who sanctifies, makes righteous. It's God who justifies, declares as righteous. And notice in that passage when he talks about the Lord coming himself, he has this picture and he he paints this picture of the Lord coming with his armor on. It's a picture of a warrior. As if there is war to be fought, a battle to be won. The Redeemer will come and he'll come to Zion. Those who repent of their sins, who call upon the name of the Lord, we know will be saved. How were people saved in the Old Testament? In the same way, by faith, under the grace of God. Not by works, not by religious things, but by faith. But Isaiah sees beyond just his day to an even greater day. And we've known throughout the chapters of Isaiah that he prophesies the coming of Jesus. God himself will come, the saviour of the world. And he will bring an end to all those sacrifices because he will offer one sacrifice once for all. The prophet also points to the coming of the Spirit. That day when God will pour out his Spirit on all believers not just on a few. And the prophet also points to that day when God will come and deal with all his enemies. He points to the return of the king when judgment and justice will be done. And the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. So as Isaiah speaks to the nation and he includes himself in his speaking He says to them, turn back again. And he's been saying this throughout his ministry. Turn back to God. It's your only hope. Sin hinders the flow of God's spirit. Whether that's on a personal level in our own lives. That we can repent and come back to God. 
and know his forgiveness and his blessing, we should be quick to repent, quick to turn. It releases that flow of God's blessing. Only God can bring the transformation upon the nation. And he saves us by faith from start to finish. But he does point to that battle that will come. And Paul picks up this imagery, doesn't he, in Ephesians 6 of the armor of God. There's echoes in Isaiah 59 of the armor of God. There's obviously, as he's maybe even chained to a Roman guard, he sees the armor before him. And he talks about our battle not being against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But we know a day is coming when God will deal with all his enemies. And he will bring his people joyfully into his presence without fault and with great joy. Paul himself knew what it was like to be a sinner saved by grace. At one point in his writings, he calls himself the worst of sinners, the Apostle Paul. Don't know where that puts me, because or you. But he knew it was all mercy. So we have the diagnosis, we have the promise. And we're encouraged not to fall into pride, I'm not like the others. Or fall into despair, I'm so rotten, God can't save me. But we're to fall into grace. And in a few minutes, we're going to share communion together where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. That we might be free. That our sins may be forgiven. And then we take on that call as those who are God's people to stand in the gap. Stand in the gap for your generation. Stand in the gap for your generation. Who else will do it? As we seek his blessing and breakthrough for our land. Let's pray together. Let's have a moment where we're just quiet before the Lord.